Hey everyone, my name is Antonia Mandulia and you're listening to That Hockey Chick. Alright, welcome back to another episode of That Hockey Chick. I am back after about two weeks without an episode. We've got the next episode here and I'm going to be talking about where we go from here. Where, and when I say we, I'm in the Leafs, obviously. Where do the Leafs go from here? What do they do? Last time and last episode, I talked about what the looming, glooming, glaring issue is. The umbrella of issues over the Leafs and the whole organization. And, you know, that it's more than just the fact that the players didn't show up, but why they didn't show up. So I talked about all that last week. This week, I'm going to try and pose some solutions. What can the Leafs do? What can Dubas do? What can Shanahan do when they're not really getting help from their lovely friends at MLSE? What What are their next steps? What do they look for? Where do current players stand? I'm going to be looking at that as well. Towards the end of the episode, I will also be introducing my new segment, This or That, with the first NHL debate that I picked. I'm not going to spoil it now. Listen till the end of the episode and you'll find out what it is. And I also welcome a a returning guest to help me with that debate. I'm excited to introduce that new segment to all of you later. Until then, I wanted to give an NHL playoff update because when I was looking back, the last time that I gave an update was before Montreal beat Winnipeg. So, it's been quite a while since I gave a an NHL playoff update and a lot of stuff has happened. I mean looking at where we were the last time I gave one and where we are now (laughs) there's uh, a lot of things that I never would have predicted. Uh, I'm not gonna bother giving series previews because the current like the semis are pretty much just about complete. The biggest shocker for me was Vegas eliminating Colorado. I think everyone's and don't lie but I think everyone's brackets got screwed up after that happened. Everyone that I've spoken to since the playoffs started, even before the playoffs started, Colorado was everyone's favorite to win the cup, so I know that everyone's brackets were screwed after that. The only team that I predicted to make it this far is Tampa. They're the only ones that I'm not really surprised that they are where they are. Vegas doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. I knew they were able to make it this far, with them, it's just the fact that they beat Colorado to get there. That's kind of what, what shocked me. But definitely, I understand why they're there. They're a team built for playoffs for sure. Tampa is pretty much, though, the only one that from beginning to end, I would have predicted that they made it all the way there, no matter who their opponent would have ended up being. But hey, like everyone says, playoffs are a whole other game. I think we've learned that a lot more this season than in previous seasons, especially Leafs fans. So let's just look at each series that's going on right now. Montreal and Vegas, Habs are currently up 3-2, and by the time you're listening to this, because they play Thursday night, which is, I'm recording it right now on a Thursday, so by the time you're listening to this, they will either have clinched a Stanley Cup final spot, or the series will be tied. A lot of people were saying the Habs wouldn't make it far, including myself, and I hate to say it, but it's teams like the Habs that are built for the playoffs. Teams made up of a bunch of nobodies, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing or saying that like in any way to be offensive. It's it's a very good thing. They don't have very many big name guys. They obviously they do have a few, every team does, but they don't have very many. The guys that get it done for them are the smaller ones, the ones in the, you know, bottom six, they step up continuously. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I actually admire that that structure because it works. 
every single time it works. It might not get you the Stanley Cup, but but it works in the sense that it'll get you far and it'll pay off. That structure, building your team like that with real players, players, and I'm going to talk about this a lot more later, so I don't want to go into too much about it, but building your team made up of real players And when I say real players, I mean people that are there because they either have something to prove or they were given a chance or, you know, even like hometown guys normally accounts for them as well. Um, Or just guys that have grit. They're there to play. They're not there to make money or get a new uh, sponsorship deal or an endorsement deal. They're there to play the game they're there to do their job so anyway that's I just admired that Montreal that the Hobbs are built like that anyway so then for Tampa and Islanders actually I should probably give my prediction of who I think is going to win for Montreal and Vegas I want to say Vegas but I have a feeling that the Habs are going to be able to make it to the Stanley Cup final and honestly it'd be pretty cool to see a Canadian team go that far uh, it hasn't happened in a few in in a while, so it would be it would be pretty cool to see that happen. I hate that it's Montreal. I would have preferred that it was another Canadian team, but regardless, it's um, and especially considering you know they they were the last uh, the bottom seed coming in uh, to the playoffs and who they were up against. You know Toronto and then Winnipeg. Their their story is pretty cool, and no wonder they were able to make it that far because that's what they they wrote on. They wrote on their story. The fact that they beat the Leafs, you know how much momentum and pride and confidence that gave them to, you know, propel them? Pretty amazing. Hate to say it, but it's pretty amazing. So then for Tampa and Islanders, that series, it's taking Tampa longer than I thought. I definitely did not see the Islanders walking away with the wins that they have. One game though, game five, that was just a blowout. Eight nothing. I don't even know how to describe what happened to the Islanders in that game because it looked like they didn't even show up. I mean, based on the other games, they were like one or two goal games. It wasn't even relatively close to that. Eight nothing compared to like 2-1 or 3-2, whatever the other games were. It's like, it, it looked like they didn't even show up or it looked like they had a bunch of injured players that they were sitting for the game and they had a roster of nobodies. So it would, that was uh, that was weird. And now they're going to game seven after the Islanders came up with an OT win. I'm really, really shocked that it's going that far. And uh, I mean, I saw someone say that it's uh, a Leafs fan's worst nightmare to see the Islanders and Habs in the Stanley Cup final if that were to happen because of Tavares and then because of our round one exit. Touchy subject. Don't want to go through that again. But uh, that would be, that would be interesting. Really, really interesting. Um... I definitely still think Tampa's going to walk away with it, though. So, one of the biggest stories of the semis that I wanted to touch, well, the playoffs, really, but I've noticed it a lot in the later rounds, uh, specifically the current round that we're in, the refing. Every time I'm online, all I see people talking about is a missed cross-check or other blatant missed calls where the ref was right in front of the play, and I haven't really been watching... Uh, I haven't been watching all the games, but there are, I, the ones that I have seen, the refs are horrible. Like, just, there's no other words to describe it. Literally just absolutely horrible. I saw one from the Tampa series where a Tampa player, I can't remember who it was, was cross-checked pretty violently. You know, the ref was right there. And then there was another one in the Vegas series where a Habs player was punched in the face and the ref was, r- the ref was right in front of it he he his eyes were watching as the Habs player was punched 
I know that playoffs are different. I totally understand that because that's all people talk about. Playoffs are different, playoffs are different, playoffs are different. I totally understand that by now. But you can't be allowing stuff like that just because it's the playoffs. If it's part of the rule book, just follow it. Like, there's some plays, like, for example, if, if two guys are, you know, roughing each other up in the corner, like, pushing each other back and forth, like, you might let that go because, you know, heat of the moment, it's the playoffs, understandable. But when someone's being cross-checked in the back, when someone's being punched in the face, when the puck's nowhere near them, when they're in the open, you can't just let things like that slide because especially in the playoffs, it's even more dangerous too. Because in the playoffs, you know, all, all these guys are, they've got so much energy and and so much um, so much pressure and everything is so built up that when something like that happens and a guy gets away with it, it can get dangerous. It can get really dangerous for, for the players on the ice because everyone's so high strung during the playoffs that anything can set anyone off really and we've seen it happen a few times with Reeves and and a few other guys as well so and with Shifley too on Winnipeg we've seen it we've seen it happen we've seen it 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 consume some of the guys you know so it's I don't know I just I don't like it if it's in the rule book you follow it that's what it's there for why bother having one if the refs are just going to call whatever they want don't really see the points because then you're basically saying that anyone can be a ref I can go and be a ref and call whatever I want I don't need to know the rules that's basically what it looks like so the league needs to fix that all right so that is the playoff update next episode on this coming Monday we will have the Stanley Cup final set so I will do I will be doing a preview for the Stanley Cup final because that will be interesting anyway coming up next Since we have all had the chance over the last couple of weeks, hopefully, to calm down and clear our heads, we're going to discuss the possible next steps for the Leafs, where certain players stand with the expansion draft coming on the 21st and then free agency on the 28th, so stay tuned. What now? After what was supposed to be a very promising season, what do the Leafs do now? What are Dubas and Shanahan saying to themselves right now? After being so confident, and rightfully so, they had every right to be so confident walking into the season and walking into the playoffs. What do they do? What are they saying to what are they saying to themselves? What are they talking about? You know, what what's on their whiteboard in their office? Where are they starting from scratch? Are you know, what are they if I was in their shoes, I would be so confused. And I said that last time. I'd be so confused as to what happened. We were all confident in it, don't lie. We were all confident in the roster that was heading into the playoffs. So were people that have nothing, that know nothing about the Leafs. So were people that hate the Leafs. That's why I would just be so confused if I was in their shoes. And I'm so curious, like if if I saw them walking down the street, I'd just be like, what now? Literally, what now? So to answer this, I'm going to go through a few things. First of all, what went wrong with this season's approach? Not the stuff I was talking about before with like the culture and everything. That's what's been wrong for the past 17 years. But what went wrong with Dubis's approach this year? What do they need to add or look for this offseason? What new approach should they be taking? And where do the current guys stand? Because a lot of people have been, and the two biggest names are Hyman and Riley that have been thrown around. So we're going to talk a bit about where where the current roster and non-roster guys stand. So first off, what went wrong with this season's approach? It's hard to imagine that anything would have gone wrong, like I said. Bringing in Brody, Thornton, Simmons, Felino, all seemed very promising. 
And if it was any other team that had brought those guys in, they would be excited too. Because, of course, you have... If you have any one of those highly successful guys coming in, you expect the best. And if we, for example, had just signed Thornton and none of the other guys, no Brody, no Simmons, no one else, I wouldn't be as excited. It'd be cool, but I wouldn't be as excited. All of them together, though, Felino, Thornton, Simmons, Brody, all of them together, cumulatively, was like, wow, we have tons of manpower right now at our disposal. This is crazy. And that's what was going through everyone's heads. On the side note, though, I'm going to be trashing the people that we that we did end up signing that we expected a lot from. The one person I am going to keep exempt from that is Brody because he definitely was the best out of all the signings that Dubis made. And he had an amazing season alongside Riley, but also independently. I know he didn't put up, um, put up goals, but independently, he had a great season. He did amazing for us. In the playoffs, too, he did great. Anyway, there were a couple angles that were tried by Dubis this season that I think need to go ASAP. One, which I think was the most obvious, is the leadership angle. We tried it. Didn't work. It's okay. Scrap it. And don't go back to it. We brought in all those ex-captains and leaders and we had our toolbox full with Tavares, Spezza, Thornton, Felino, Simmons. You can consider him to be a leader too. So many guys that they that they brought in and it looked so promising. And I thought it would have worked. You know, when I saw them bringing in all these ex-captains, I thought it was going to be I thought it was a great angle to work at from Dubis's point of view. Logically speaking, that's what you would have thought that we needed with the younger guys we had because everyone was saying they don't have playoff experience past the first round. You need to bring in guys that have that. Dubis said, okay, sure. That's what he did. He brought in skillful players that had playoff experience past the first round. So in all fairness, you know, given we, we have a young, you know, a younger squad with not a lot of experience. So you know, you would have figured that it would have worked. And I'm not saying to get rid of all those guys because definitely guys like Tavares and Spezza massively improved this team, whether they're on the ice or not. Like we saw with Tavares, he had a huge impact on the team even when he was hurt in those uh, in the playoffs. But the others, not so much. It, it didn't appear that they did anything. And after establishing that the culture was the issue and everything in my last episode, it had become clear that leadership and experience is not the way to change the culture for this team. Now we know that you kind of got to scrap that. It's not going to work. Bringing in experienced guys is not going to change anything. So a different angle needs to be looked at, which I will get to in a bit. So experience is not going to be the solution moving forward. We know that because we had tons of it this season. The second thing or second angle that was tried out that didn't really work that need to go, which I wasn't as obvious, was the role-focused angle. Now what I mean by that is I feel as though Dubis's recent acquisitions, like over the last couple of years, what, uh, however long it took him to build the team that we had on the ice this season, every acquisition served the angle of designating certain guys for certain tasks. And it was exploited in the playoffs very noticeably. It, it was destroyed and ripped apart to shreds and it became very obvious that the team and the roster was very role-focused. Now you look at a prime example, perfect example, and easiest one to kind of grasp. 
In the playoffs, when the first line shut down, no one else could step up. You had, yeah, you had like Nylander and Spezza and Galchenyuk here and there that actually did step up. But for the most part, no one did. Why? No, well, because it was the first line's job to score two goals a game. That's what they've been doing all season. Maybe not two, but you know what I mean. Scoring at least a goal a game, right? Despite the depth we had, which we did have a lot, and that's something that I talked about all season, we had insane depth this season. We had depth guys that had the ability to score because we saw it happen. You know, we saw Engvall net a few, Spezza, we saw Kerfoot net a few and take part in some goals and so on and so forth down the lineup. They had the ability to score. They did. But why, when we had that, why why didn't they, or why couldn't they score then? Because once the first line shut down and they couldn't do their role or their task that they were assigned, no one else could step up because it wasn't their job. It wasn't their role. That, That wasn't what their job or task with the team was. It wasn't to be a first line. It wasn't to to score a goal a game. That's not what their job is. Their job was to supplement what the first and second lines could do. So during the season when the first line was scoring all those goals and the second line was scoring all those goals, we were getting goals from the third and fourth line because their job was to supplement and increase the final score, increase our our goal differential. That's what their job was. It was supplementary. That's in the playoffs when they weren't scoring, the third and fourth line didn't have a job. They they had nothing to supplement. They had nothing to add on to. And because their job wasn't to get those first few goals, they, they weren't able to do it because that's not what their role was. I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but I'm trying to make it clear what I'm trying to say. And I'll I'll get more into this later, but other, exa- other small examples are having Simmons as the designated tough guy. When he couldn't do it, no one else could because it was no one else's job. Because no one else was taught or told how to use the toughness at certain points in the game and this and that. So when Simmons didn't show up, no one else did. No one else showed up to fill that role. Matthews as a designated scorer, everything like I just talked about. Marner as a designated passer, like what I just talked about with the first line. Those assigned roles and that focus ended up doing a lot more bad than good. A lot more bad than good, which is why that needs to go. You know, the the role focused sort of team makeup is not not the way that it has to be. And I hate c- keeping, I hate to continue referring to the Habs, but they're another good example. They're another good example because everyone does everything pretty much. And you look at someone like Hyman on the Leafs or Galchenyuk or I guess you could even say Kerfoot too, Matthews too, actually. They do a bit of everything. They throw their body around. They get back defensively, they score, they assist, overall have a good presence. That's Those are the types of players that you need to make up your roster. Even Spezza, Spezza too, he does everything as well. He throws his body around, he knows when to get into it. He's good face-off, he's a good face-off guy. He nets, you know, he nets goals, gets points. I'm not saying, like, obviously you're going to have the people on your team that are, you know, you're still going to have Matthews who's your you know, he's the guy that's going to get you the goals, but it's not just him. It's everyone, you know? You don't go into it saying, you know, the first line is the one that's going to score the goals. Third and fourth line, you guys just like supplement, just get out there and do what you can. No, that's not, that's not what has to happen anymore. That has to be scrapped. It has to be, yes, our first line is going to score goals, but you, third and fourth line, go out there 
and act as if you are the first line. You have to you have to get rid of this idea that because that's what ended up happening. They ended up relying on the first line and they did nothing. And then, you know, I'm going to repeat myself again, but then third and fourth weren't able to step up because that's not what they had been doing all season. That's not what their what their role was. It was it's their role is just to support whatever lead we have. That's essentially what it was and that needs to go and it needs to be scrapped because any team you even look at Tampa they're built opposite of how we're built as well. So you got to look at at structuring the team differently and uh, and, and it sucks because we had so much depth. That's what makes it hard to grasp. We had the depth at our disposal. We had what we needed. It just was not used properly, I guess you can say. It wasn't it wasn't used properly. If they had if they had structured the guys that we had a bit differently in terms of, you know, not um, giving them those specific roles and maybe not playing the like playing them uh, structuring them also different minutes played because I know minutes played were kind of lopsided at certain times and how he wasn't Keith wasn't splitting up Matthews and Marner again because he saw that their role was to be on that first line together that's another point towards being role focused if he had you know, switch the minutes, maybe give Nylander more minutes, you know, just because he's not on the first line doesn't mean he can't play more minutes, right? So again, there's that kind of thing. If he had played when the, I can't even remember now, it was feel so long ago, but if one of the other lines, like third or fourth line even, was doing really, really well, play them more minutes. Just because they're not the first line doesn't mean they have to play a lot less than the first line, right? You you play who you have to. You don't look at what line they're on type of thing. Anyway, so leadership didn't pan out when it should have. Role focus is not something that is well-suited for this team. None of those angles are any... None of them are good solutions for this team. In in order to change the culture, none of those are going to do the job. So it needs to be fixed. Now, coming up next, I will be taking a look at what Dubis needs to do and what he needs to look at adding during this offseason, so stay tuned. All right, so now that we looked at what the Leaf or what Dubis needs to reconsider in terms of the angle and approach that he takes with his team, now I want to look at what he needs to look for this offseason to add to the roster. Killer Instinct. That is number one priority in my books. How is that done? How can Dubis change the culture when clearly no one else will? It's all on him now. That's not something you can solve with bringing in a couple new players, like I said last week, like we've been experiencing these past few years. Bringing in one, two, three, four new big name guys, not going to do the job. We've learned that already. Hopefully Dubis has learned that as well by now. But the question for him is how he can do it, or at least try to do it if he's not getting any help from above him or from anywhere else really it has to start at the top but uh, you know maybe if if Dubis is able to find an angle that works for the team maybe he can try and start making making a, a change or making a difference on his own rather than waiting for others to help him out because that's not going to happen if it hasn't happened for the last 17 years now I I mentioned that he needs to he needs to look for killer instinct players that have that killer instinct that have that grit and that heart 
and that's the new angle he has to take. Scrap the leadership, scrap the experience because obviously it didn't help, scrap the role focus because that backfired massively. The new angle he has to take is grit. He has to go for those no-name guys that will give all the other players uh, knowledge that there's another way to look at the game other than just we want to get paid that this is our job but looking at it as we're lucky to be here let's run with it you know getting those those low-paid guys no-name guys that are there to play and when they're not there for the paycheck if you hear someone's name okay if it was uh, two years ago even just last year even when they announced that they got Galchenyuk or I'm going to use him as an example you hear tomorrow that the Leafs sign a guy named Galchenyuk you're going to be like what who is that? Sorry? Those are the types of guys that you need. The guys who don't have the big names. They're not the Austin Matthew, the Mitch Marner, or the John Tavares, or the Joe Thornton, or the Wayne Simmons. They're guys that, unless you were a fan of the team that they were on previously, you have no idea who they are. Guys that you don't hear about a lot, not because they're bad, but because they're lower paid guys. You know, they're not a main focus in the media. Those are the types of guys that you need because those are the types of guys that have something to prove we know Galchenyuk had something to prove or the types of guys that are just there to play because they love the sport they love the city they're playing for the name on their chest for the logo on their chest they're not playing for the paycheck they're not playing for the endorsement deals they're playing they're not playing to make sure that their next deal is an extra three mil uh a three million salary every year that's not what they're there for. The types of guys we need are the types of guys that are going to play for the city and they're going to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're not going to play for themselves. Those are the types of guys that we need. So if you hear in the coming months that the Leafs traded for or signed someone and you have no idea who this guy is, you've rarely heard his name in the media, that is a good thing. Trust me. Trust me. That is a good thing. And if the past few years of the Leafs has proved anything, it's that big name guys, if we see the Dubas signs, a big name guy, we're in trouble. Mark my words. So that's kind of the angle I see him needing to take. Similar to how the Bruins are built, how Tampa's built, Colorado, Montreal, similar to how those teams are built, where yeah, you have those select few named guys that everyone, you know, is aware of, that everyone knows, that gets the media coverage. But there's also tons of guys on the roster who, unless you're a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, Boston Bruins, Tampa Bay, Colorado Avalanche, you have no idea who this guy is. That's a good thing. And then also with the role focus thing like I was talking about, I really, I don't like that. I mean, I I feel that on paper it looks like a good idea. You know, you have your guy that's going to go out and hit. You have your guy that you can throw out for the PK. You have your guy that you can throw out to get almost a like a guaranteed goal almost every game on paper it looks good but in reality when you throw those when when you put a team together like that it's going to crumble and it's going to crumble because the second one guy doesn't do their job there's no one there to fill in that spot and you're screwed the guys that we brought in to hit didn't hit no one else knew how to and like i said the same the same happened with the scoring if you abandon that role focus it forces everyone to step up and it might get off to a rocky start, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that you're going to go and get all these guys and it's going to be like magic on the ice and, and they're just going to mesh and work perfectly and it's going to be the best thing ever. 
it, it might not work in the beginning because you're forcing a whole new structure and a whole new way of play. I mean, assuming that the core stays the same, assuming that majority of the roster stays the same, like with Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, uh, Spezza, let's say Hyman, uh, let's say Sandine, Hall, Muzzin, Brody, all those guys, assuming that majority of the roster stays the same, you're going to have to shift all those guys and all of their their ways of play and like I said introducing one or two guys isn't going to help I mean isn't going to change it it will help in the right direction but it's not going to do it on its own you're going to have to find or not find you're going to have to have Keith you know be the type of coach that's going to be able to make that adjustment and I think he is uh because normally he does but I honestly think that that abandoning that role focus it'll work towards building a stronger core and a more solid structure that can be depended on not only for the regular season but for the playoffs if guys for whatever reason have a cold spell which has happened for us multiple times in the past few years it, it will really really help us and that that's the foundation of a strong core having having guys like that that can do multiple things not depending on roles that that's a recipe for a strong core a strong a strong core for your roster I'm just like trying to picture it just picturing reforming the team like that and not being so top heavy dependent and it would be really good for them and it would be a, a, a a rocky change of pace but it would be a good change of pace you know, like building a team of Hyman's and Galchenyuk's, I always compare those two because they're fairly similar in my eyes. Building a team of, of Hyman's and Galchenyuk's is exactly what I'm talking about. They're the perfect example of the foundation that you want to build your team on because they can do everything. They have their they have their expertise, you know, like Hyman, he's not really a, a goal scorer. He's more like a get-in-the-corner type of guy and get the puck out. But he can do everything. He can score. He can pass. You know, he can PK. He he does a bit of everything. Same with Galchenyuk. He's the same type of guy. Not a goal scorer. Not an assist man. But he he gets in the corner and, and he works hard. He just those are the types of players that just work hard. You put them on the ice, guaranteed a hundred and ten percent effort is gonna is gonna be shown on that ice every single time they're on there. Those are the guys you need. Work hard. Don't give up on the puck. They're just they're just good. They're just good players. Those are the types of players that we need. Not necessarily another, the best goal scorer, the best assist man, just a hard-working hockey player. Those are the guys that we need. And then with the big-name guys, like I was saying, just stop, stop, just stop. I don't want to see one one big-name guy signed. And I know like uh, Dougie Hamilton was being thrown around that name. I just I don't want them to... I don't want it to be a repeat of last off season. That's what I that's what I don't want because I don't want them to just start throwing around these big names and I think that I think that the Leafs fan base has learned not to get excited anymore about literally anything that the Leafs put forward until playoffs come. So, I don't I just I don't want to see any big name guys signed this off season because I I don't see it helping I don't. Why spend those big bucks for big name guys when you know that when they get here, they're going to flop regardless of who they are? Why would you waste that money? You know, spend, spend less and get the hardworking guys that you think can change, you know, and, and, and operate different. Those are the guys that you need. 
anyway, moral of the story, Dubis just needs to bring them back to Earth. Not start from scratch. Not start from scratch in terms of the roster. That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm suggesting is bringing the team back to Earth. Like, in terms of how they approach the game and their attitude. The culture and atmosphere, it needs to be cooled down. And they need to draw... They need to draw some attention away, cool down the guys, the organization, stop going after the big expensive guys because it doesn't work. They need to readjust their focus, not just getting past round one, getting to the end, making it all the way to the end. That's what their focus needs to be because when they put their focus on just getting past round one, forget it. And for people saying to uproot the team, sorry to rain on your parade but even if you bring in a whole new 26 guys like i mentioned last time you're gonna get the exact same result exact same result and the reason for that like i said they're exposed to a culture that does just doesn't care does not care about building a proper foundation that is where we are and that's that's where dubis needs to start now he needs to I don't want to use the word rebuild because that's not what it is. He needs to strengthen the foundation. I think that's a better way to put it. He need because he has his core guys. They're not going anywhere. No matter how much you want it to happen, they're not going anywhere. He needs to kind of build around the core and strengthen it so that if if the core falls apart, you have a strong backup foundation, which is what we all, and Dubis included, what we all thought we had because that's what it looked like and that's what it was in the uh, um in the regular season but like i said it only appeared that way because all lines were performing and then once one line shut down forget it right so that's what i think needs to uh needs to be done on a overall big picture kind of way that's what that's what dubis needs to focus on because that's that's where he's gonna see the most change um because that hasn't happened uh, since Dubis has been here, even before Dubis, it that approach has never been taken, in my opinion, in in recent times anyway, where they're going for guys that are not big names. I in recent times, I don't remember Elite's GM and doing that, and I, I could be very wrong, but I just remember big signings. You know, like since the Matthews, uh, since the Matthews time, I just remember big names being signed since then and that's an issue so you know maybe change a pace change your strategy well that comes from shanahan too they just got to change their strategy and say you know we tried going for big guys to hype them up not working let's go for the lower guys to try and build some some heart and some grit and some and a stronger foundation anyway if i keep going i'm gonna keep repeating myself so coming up next I'm going to be going over where our current guys stand, uh, our unrestricted free agents, and if any guys look like they would be valuable trading pieces. And like I said, I'm going to be doing the expansion draft and and uh, free agency. I'm going to be covering those more in depth uh, in future episodes, closer to when those things happen in about a month or so. So, you know, this this next part of the episode will just be kind of an overall scratching of the surface just to see kind of who who's up for free agency and where certain guys stand moving into free agency into the off season and what Dubis is currently looking at in terms of his roster so stay tuned all right so based on where the Leafs went wrong and what they need to look at adding where do the current guys stand are you a phase 
this off season include Felino, Thornton, Nash, Galchenyuk, Hyman, Simmons, Hudden, Bogosian, Freddie, and Reddick. Let's go through these guys and some others along the way. Felino, not coming back. I, yeah, we wasted a pick on him, but I do not see any value in re-signing him. I think his intention was always to go back to Columbus. I feel he just came to Toronto because he saw it as an opportunity to make it far and make a legitimate um, chase for the cup. I do think he always had the intent of going back to Columbus. I would not even remotely consider bringing Felino back because he did nothing. And I know it's kind of hard to judge because he had the injury before he came to Toronto and then he kind of like re-aggravated it or had a, another injury, something wrong with him, whatever. So you could make the excuse that he wasn't his normal self and that's why he underperformed. I just wouldn't risk it. I I wouldn't take the chance and banking on the fact that you're assuming that he's going to be himself come September or October. I would not... I would not risk that much money banking on that fact when we hadn't really seen much from him in terms of leadership or skill on the ice. And I would much rather use that money to get lesser-named guys like I was talking about before that can actually change where the organization wants or should be headed. So I definitely do not think Felino should be coming back. Nash, same thing. Waste. He played, like, what, one game? No. We don't need him. He doesn't he doesn't add anything. I do not think that he is of value or fits with the with the team, to be honest. Uh Thornton, this one this one's tricky. He did just end up taking up the bench during the playoffs and like during the regular season, the first half of the regular season, he was great. He was great on the first line. He did amazing. He had a few moments towards the end of the season. But he did end up, the latter half of this regular season and in the playoffs, he ended up just taking up a spot on the bench. And that spot could be used for someone with more speed and someone with a better overall ability to keep up with our core, to keep up with Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Engvall, to keep up with all those guys because he couldn't. He could not keep up with those guys. And he just he was just taking up a spot that could be used for, for one other guy, maybe two other guys that have more speed, more overall ability. So I don't think that he should be coming back either. Marner, I know a lot of people were, I hope people aren't saying this anymore, but I know a lot of people were, were trashing Marner and saying he, he should be on the trade block. Look, you face the facts, like think about it realistically. None of the core four need to go and none of them are going anywhere. Dubas said it flat out. Trading one of those guys would be the stupidest thing he could possibly ever do and I agree with him I know that the city was up in flames and they were so frustrated you know at Marner at Matthews at, at the top guys pretty much minus Nylander and rightfully so because they disappeared but think about it try finding another 100 point player who is a beast on the penalty kill you can't it's 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 hard to do let alone, you know, find one with those qualities and can guarantee performance in the playoffs. 
McDavid's not even like that. Look at what happened. Amazing, stellar performance in the regular season. Playoffs come. You can you can never guarantee performance in the playoffs. You can't. You can never predict what's going to happen in the playoffs. You can never guarantee anything. So many upsets have happened in this year's playoffs. So many. Colorado, Leafs, so many. So you can never you you just can never you can never guarantee that. So that half of the equation is gone because you can't guarantee playoff performance ever. Finding someone that can put up 100 100 points a season in a regular um regular uh full season, it, it's hard to do. You can't. Like it or not, those guys will be on the ice to start the first game of the 2021-2022 season. And I'm fine with it because, again, if you surround them with the right guys, hopefully it will erase the stupid mindset that they have in their heads now. You know, take Marner, for example. Everyone kind of knows that he's greedy and we all know that he's more concerned about the paycheck and the endorsement deals and, you know, being flashy and all this stuff that he cares more about that than anything else. If you were to start playing, that that was kind of a harsh statement. I Obviously, he cares about other things, but I'm saying... He's not the type of guy that you see, uh, you know, you see, you see a lot, I can't think of an example right now, but you see a lot of great players out there that have the skill and they don't care about the money. Yeah, they want to be paid. Obviously, I'm not saying they're going to take like league minimum, but I'm saying they're the types of, of players that will be willing to take less because they don't really care about that. They don't care about comparing their value to other players around the league. You offer me something, if it's even remotely reasonable, I'll take it because I just want to play. Marner's not like that. If someone like Marner were to start playing with guys who operate different and play different and have a different mindset and structure, I do believe there would be change because the whole attitude of the team would have to start to change, right? If you surround them, almost like bombard them with all these different types of players, you have no choice, right? Because then those guys are going to start stealing the, the top line's ice time. You have a third or fourth line full of Galchenyuks, full of, of those types of hardworking guys. They're going to start stealing They're going to start stealing minutes if Keith ends up... Well, that comes to Keith too because Keith's going to have to change his coaching style. If the third or fourth line is playing well enough to... Is, is playing well enough is if there's a game where the third or fourth line is playing better than the first or second damn right you're gonna play them more stop playing this minutes game just because they're on the top line doesn't mean they have to play more minutes and i said that earlier so it also come comes in there where if you have these hard-working guys that end up playing better in a game or two you give them more minutes they start stealing minutes from the top line it's gonna it's it's gonna change the way that they play because they're like, oh, these I gotta work harder because these guys are taking my minutes. And because they care about being on the top line, because they care about having their name on the top line and all that, yeah, they're gonna change. They're gonna work harder. That's what we need. And that wasn't happening before because look at the third and fourth line we had. Yes, they scored. Yes, they got points. But Marner knew that his job was to be on the first line and to carry the team. So he didn't have to worry about the third or fourth line stealing minutes because that never happened and it was never going to happen with the way that they they structured and played. Anyway, so moving on, Campbell, he's our guy. We're in good hands with him. He has more than proved that he's worthy of being a starting goaltender, no question about it, which does mean that Freddie 
is not our guy. I love Freddie, and I hate that he wasn't able to play for much of the season. But even in his interview, if you listen to it after the playoffs, he said basically said that he would look back and remember the best moments from the last five years. To me, that sounds as though he's ready to say farewell and move on. And I'm pretty sure it was, was it Pittsburgh? I saw that was looking for a goalie and and Freddie had crossed their radar. I, I do think he's gone. One, we can't afford him. Two, we have Campbell at one, one point something. Cheap. Yeah, we're obviously going to have to resign him, but cheap option, right? And he's the type of guy, he's not going to come next season and ask for six mil. He's the type of guy that would take a cut. And he's super dependable, super cheap option to to have as a number one goalie especially considering the way he performed for us last season that's a no-brainer Spezza we all know he's staying already love this because this is another perfect example of a guy who literally plays for the logo on the chest and for the city he is in he does not care about making the money but more about winning wherever and however I do also think that he likes the chance that he gets to coach the younger guys like Brooks and Robertson and all them and help them enter the league and, and start forming their their playing style and everything because if he, he just seems like that type of guy. He likes being the leader and he likes helping you know, helping guys out. He likes coaching guys and, and things like that. I can definitely see him staying with the staying with the organization long term even when he retires and everything. I would also like to see an A on his chest come next season. I would, I hands down think that that is, that would be a great idea to give him an A, but we'll have to see about that one because we know that Marner apparently deserves it more. All right, so um, Galchenyuk, I've spoken about him a lot already. I've, I've spoken about him a lot all season. I really, really like him. I do think that he should be kept not only is he a cheaper option but if you think about it the Leafs the organization the coaches all them they spent all that time on him they used all those resources on him to give him that last chance why would you just give up on him like after all that you put all that time and effort and dedication into this one player why would you just let him go it, it wouldn't really make sense to me and it is guys like this that were he was literally given a last fighting chance to stay in the league if he if the Leafs you know didn't do what they did with him I really don't think he would be on an NHL team right now and side note he did amazing for us all season or when he was here he did amazing in the playoffs he wasn't like as consistent as Nylander was for example but he showed up there were games where he showed up he always tried hard you can always guarantee that he's gonna put in 110% effort and those are the types of guys that we need like I keep saying so it's it's guys like him when you put all that time and effort into someone like that it's guys like that who develop the killer instinct and they develop the heart and they develop the drive and push to play for the team that gave them a shot and that's exactly what the Leafs are to him He's also a no-name guy, like I said before. You, Like I said, you go and say we signed Galchenyuk, you say who. That means he's a keeper. Brody, no question, he's not available. Riley, a lot of speculation here as to whether he's at the end of his Leafs journey. 
His contract is up next season. The question here is if he showed enough this season to stay or if he proved he would be a trading piece. That's the question that needs to be answered because they have to consider salary and what he'll be asking for because he's at five right now. So I, I think I saw seven uh, floating around, seven, it was something like that. I saw seven or maybe I even saw eight. Uh, I don't know how reliable those numbers are, but that's what I saw floating around. Bigger picture, I think keeping Riley is a good idea if it becomes feasible depending on what happens with the expansion draft and what happens with other pieces like Hyman and Kerfoot and if they can clear enough space. I still like him as a leader and I like having him as kind of like the head of the of the defense and the defensive core. But after this season, you have to ask if that's enough to warrant him staying on the team. Is his leadership enough? Do we really still need it? You know, we have Muzzin back there, Bogosian, uh, who I'll be talking about next, if he's still there. Brody. I mean, they do have Spezza and, and stuff too. They've got Campbell back there with the D. Do they, is Riley's leadership worthy of him or reason enough for him to stay? His skill? Yeah. I mean, it's not outstanding, but it's also not horrible. He's he's a dependable guy. He is. He's not crap. He's not exceptional. He's a dependable guy and he does have that extra leadership aspect. You just have to ask if that's enough. And I I don't really know. I don't I don't know if it was enough for him and if basically if he is not traded this offseason, he will be they will resign him come the end of next season. If they don't trade him this summer, he's he's. I think he's going to stay. I think I don't really know because then if they wait until next season to try and sign him, he's gonna be asking for a lot more. Like I said, so would they rather trade him now and get multiple pieces in return that would be that would combine to be just as valuable, you know, and like kind of like sacrificing one position to increase the potential and get better in multiple positions elsewhere that's kind of the the logic that i'm trying to use he's been great with brody you know he stepped up his game uh i don't know i mean brody definitely isn't the type of guy to replace riley i mean if riley's gone there's no one else really on the defense that we have that can replace riley brody's not as offensive as he is no one else really on D is as offensive as Riley is. So they would need a replacement for him. Who that would be, I'm not sure. Would they just pull, put Sandine, put Sandine up um, and then bring Lozergren up? Is that an option? Or if they trade Riley, would they then bring in someone like Hamilton to replace him? Because he, he would need a replacement. You can't just get rid of Riley uh, someone like that, uh, that would leave a big hole in the defensive core, I think. But like I said, if they're able to get multiple pieces that upgrade multiple positions elsewhere on the roster, I'm all for that. If that's if that's what they're going to get in return. So sticking with the defense, Bogosian, I don't think he should be um, he should be left either. He stepped up when when he had to on multiple occasions. He's dependable. He's a good big presence to have back there. I I. I mean, with the cheap contract that he has, 
I, I don't think it would be a mistake to re-sign him either. And then Hyman, he is another, him and Riley, I think, are the biggest pieces of conversation for the Leafs um, this offseason. Again, a lot of speculation about him and whether he's done being a Leaf. Apparently, he was offered five mil and he rejected it, which I still find very hard to believe. Someone like him fits like that home hometown kid profile um, perfectly because he's got the heart, he's got the drive, and you can see it. You can clearly tell that he does. I can't see him leaving, and a part of that is because I really want him to stay, but part of it is just me thinking rationally, and it doesn't make sense that someone like him would leave. He would have to be, like, he would have to be really fed up. Like, if he did leave, he would have to be really fed up with how things are going in order to just uproot and leave, in my opinion. So I, I still find it really hard to believe that he rejected that. I'm going to talk later about what, um, like, what the salary um, cap and everything and what the numbers are looking like, but just overall... Obviously, it comes to a point where if he's asking for so much, I'd say forget it because you can spend that money on, like I said, multiple other pieces, multiple smaller guys that are going to help. Obviously, losing Hyman would be, that would leave the biggest hole. I think losing Hyman this offseason, I've, I've, I said before, Hyman is top priority and I still stand by that because he, he's, he's just, he's an amazing hockey player and he... He can do so many things so well and his structure and style of play is exactly what the Leafs need and losing someone like that would not be good at all. Alright, so moving on to Simmons. I don't really know, to be honest. He showed us in in the beginning he was great with Tavares and Nylander um, and then he got hurt. And then it was like, who is this and what happened to the real Wayne Simmons after he got hurt? Um, I this one, this one, I wasn't sure when I was thinking about it because even after he got hurt, like he, sh- there were times where he showed us like flashes of who he was for us at the beginning of the season, but overall, altogether, he was never the same, never. Not the rest of the regular season, not in the playoffs. He was just never the same. So I don't really know. It would be similar to like what I was saying about... I was saying that about someone, but now I can't remember. Was it Felino? Yes, it was Felino. I was saying that before about, about Felino and how um, it would be a risk because you're basically saying... I'm banking on the fact that you're going to be how you were at the beginning of the season, even though you weren't it for a majority of the season. So it's it would be another gamble. It would be another risk. And I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it or if you just let him go. And I know he wasn't that much. He wasn't that much anyway, uh, Simmons, in terms of uh, counting towards the cap. But you could always use that money elsewhere. Um, so I don't know. That's an interesting one, too. Kerfoot, I don't want to lose him either, but he may be lost in the expansion draft or used in a package deal for a trade. I'm pretty sure his uh, salary is like three. It's three five, three point five. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. He he's another guy that I've always compared to Hyman and Galchenyuk. He's another hard worker. He's he's dependable. He's he's another one of those guys. Another fighter. Another guy with drive. Um, so I, 
I think I would be okay. Um, again, obviously it depends on who's coming the other way. But if, if you're dropping uh, someone like Kerfoot, but then again, you, you're looking at someone like Kerfoot and he's at 3.5. And then you're looking at someone like Hyman or like Riley and they're obviously going to be asking for a lot more than that. Um, double, you know, a little bit more than double than that. Maybe it would be more worth it to lose one of them keep Kerfoot who's a cheaper option and use the the higher relief and salary to go for to go for um, multiple pieces because if you take let's say Riley if it was seven mil you know you can easily get two maybe three uh three guys in there for for that much maybe two is more realistic but you you know what I mean so I think I would be okay if Kerfoot was gone um obviously I, I I don't know. He's he's another one I'm on the fence about. I would like him to stay if he could, but if it means losing him in order to free up space and get someone someone else or multiple other pieces, then I'm all for that. Then there's guys like Engvall and Mikhaev. I feel like they'd be used in, in package deals as well. It's not a lot of space that you would get with guys like that, but there's definitely some teams out, out there that would like to add some speed and and PK and that's what these two guys can do if it were me I wouldn't get rid of both I'd keep one of them um they have a fairly similar style of play I would just say the main difference is that Makayev has the PK and Engvall can put the puck in the net <laughs> um that's the main difference I would say Makayev I would be more okay with getting rid of because when it came down to it yeah he's fast and he's a great PK guy but he could never finish and towards the end, it was Engvall who was actively participating in goal scoring and putting up points. So that's the decision I would make there. And then younger guys like Robertson, Brooks, Lozogren, Sandine, bring them up permanently. Give them a shot. I mean, definitely Robertson, because he was given quite a few chances um, this regular season. I know they stopped because of his entry-level contract, but bring him up give him a chance. Sandine, I'm, I'm almost 100% certain he'll be there permanently. Lilzergren, I would, he can, he can pop up, and then again, again, that depends on what happens with Riley and Bogosian. Um, Brooks, I would say too, he's another one, like a fighter, that type of guy. Him and Spezza were great together. I would say throw him up there too, keep him in from the start of the season. And like I said, I'll be doing the expansion draft and everything closer too, so we'll dig deeper into all this later okay coming up next we're gonna take a quick break and then i will be going through the salary cap and trying to work out some of the numbers and see logistically who can be kept and who would have to go so stay tuned all right so after saying who should stay and who can go Let's look at that in terms of salary. So with just the current roster guys, which I'll go through, the cap lands at around 67, which gives them, or Dubis, about 14.5 in room, give or take. Definitely not a lot. So Matthews is 11.6, Marner's 10.9, Tavares is 11, Nylander's 6.9, Kerfoot's 3.5, Makayev's 1.6, Engvall's 1.2, Spetsa's um 750k, Brooks 725, Muzzin 5.6, Riley 5, Brody 5, Hall 2, and Sandine still on his entry level. 
and then Campbell is 1.65. Now, the UFAs I already went through, we know that Hyman's last contract was 2.25 and it was for four years. I think Hyman is definitely doable if they can get him to agree to five. I know that it was reported that that was rejected. I still don't believe that. But the only um, the only other thing with him too is that he's going to want long term, like another four or so years similar to his last contract. So that's another thing that they're going to have to keep in mind because he's going to want long term for sure. People like to use Gallagher's contract also as a point of comparison. He got 6.5 and if that's the case, it would take a lot for Dubis to be able to make that room for the extra 1.5. Technically speaking, there is room for it. Um, that would kind of push Riley out the door, I think. But it would also put the rest of the team in jeopardy in terms of finding other talent to add and finding those other little pieces because the extra 1.5, it might not seem like a lot, but you can get a, a dependable, hardworking guy for 1.5 or put it put it towards, you know, even if you make a trade and empty some other space, you can put it towards that Every, every little bit counts. And even Spezza was saying in his interview when he did it, he's like, I, he basically said he didn't want to put the team in jeopardy and that he wanted to take as, as little as possible so that they, the team can find talent elsewhere so he doesn't handcuff Dubas, you know, and make it harder for him. He wants the team to be able to find the other talent that they need. Like I said, I, I think it would be worth it, uh, because losing Hyman would be the biggest blow, I think, out of losing anyone on this roster. But of course, it would come to a point where it wouldn't make sense. And the 6-5 is definitely pushing it. I I don't even know what I would say my max would be. I mean, they offered him 5. Um, and especially considering a flat cap and that he came from 2.25. I'm not saying he doesn't necessarily deserve the raise, but... I don't know, with all things considered, I feel like maybe six might be the most I would go because Dubis just has to focus on upgrading everywhere. He can't he can't just give one guy an extra, you know, 1.5 because he feels like it. You know, he, he has to really focus on spreading spreading that cap and it's going to be hard because it's staying flat. So that's gotta do with what has to be done uh so we'll have to see about that and then Thornton I said just forget it even if it's league minimum just forget it Simmons I'm still on the fence with him he he was at 1.5 with us for for the year I don't know I I don't think I'd do that I think that's still too much yeah I wouldn't do that and then Freddie I talked about that before we have Campbell for much less so no point Riddick, I don't think. Um, like I said, he didn't really play much for us. So again, it would be another risk. Like for Simmons and like for Felino, it would be another risk. It would be another gamble, assuming that he would be able to back up Campbell and, and be dependable. And I don't think that I would want to take that risk with Riddick. Bogosian, only at one mil, one year. Kind of guy that gets the job done. He's it, It's a steal, I think. I would definitely... Say to bring him back, Hudden, we have a lot of defense to pull from. I really don't think that he's needed anymore. Dermont, I think we can do without him. Uh, I'm not sure what's going to happen or trading him. I know they're explaining the tra uh, exploring 
the trade market with him uh, that was recently said, I, I'm fine with that. I, he didn't really, he looked promising the season prior, but this season, not much. I think Sandine stole his job, to be fair, to be fair with you, to be honest with you. Then you also have the non-roster guys that definitely should be considered, like I said. And Lil Zergren is actually an RFA next year. So in my mind, you'd want to give him a more permanent look this season. You would want to see if it's someone that is going to, or that is someone that should be re-signed come next offseason. So he definitely deserves a more permanent look to be able to make, you know, that, that better that better informed decision again especially because i'm pretty sure flat the cap is staying flat next year as well so that i definitely think he should be given more permanent looks this season and then there's the others like sabrin agostino anderson noisen patan malgan like who yeah they fit the no-name profile but we've seen most of those guys play for the leafs like patan for example and the skill on its own is not very impressive at all like i'm not saying when you're going for these no-name guys you just want them to work hard obviously you want them to have skill they have to have some sort of skill to to make it worth bringing them in Uh, but i'm not saying that you have to bring in guys that are like a big name like off the charts like this guy puts up x number of points whatever but these guys don't fit like patan no um so assuming everyone is kept and the select ufas that i chose are signed which was Hyman, Galchenyuk, who I didn't mention again, but I meant to. Galchenyuk, definitely stay. He was at 1.05 for a year last season. I definitely think they should be willing to commit and commit more years too. They should put, they should put resources into him or continue to put resources into him. And I don't think he's in the position to ask for much of an increase either because it was a trial period for him as well. Um, he's been through several teams in the last little bit. I don't think that Galchenyuk would really risk not playing just because of money. Because realistically, like I said, there's not many teams out there that would pay him much more. And if the Leafs hadn't given him the chance, like I said, he probably wouldn't be on an NHL team right now. So again, um, but yeah, so Hyman, Galchenyuk, Bogosian, Riley... Those are kind of the guys. If, if they keep those guys, um, there would be about 4 million cap space to work with if they keep the ones I mentioned. And, and again, like I said, it's not nearly enough to sign what we need. But considering the expansion draft and possible trades, like I said, maybe with Kerfoot, maybe with Dermot, I do think it's enough for him to re-sign Hyman and Riley. But I don't know. Again, it, it's really tricky because it depends, obviously, how much they're asking for and how much other guys outside of the league are asking for, which is what I'm going to look at with you right now. Looking at UFAs around the league, I want to just, again, we'll go in depth in this later on, but I just wanted to pull a few names that I saw. So I saw Kyle Palmieri. He's at 465. Um, there's him. There's Brandon Zod. Uh, he's left wing. He's, he's a depth piece. He can contribute. A lot of the guys that I chose are depth pieces that can pretty much contribute anywhere because that's exactly what I think that we need. And then Barclay Goudreau, he's a center. Um, he 
is only at 900k his plus minus would obviously all of these salaries would would be adjusted for respective increases in in pay and stuff um but barclay goudreau his plus minus was great for tampa at 16 he had 20 points in 55 games sufficient depth grit guy he's also from toronto decent size so that would be an interesting look too also in terms of defense david savard um alec martinez i i picked him out he's another like huh kind of guy like who is that he had a pretty good season with the knights so they could end up keeping him like any of these other guys um and he is older um so i mean i really don't know I don't know how the Leafs are going to be judging the age thing anymore either because a few seasons ago it was go for young and that didn't work out and now it was go for old and that didn't work out so I really don't know where they're at or um, how they're going to be looking at age anymore um, but Mar- this Martinez he might be looking for a shorter term deal as well which might be more suitable for the Leafs than a long term deal. Then there's Alex Goligoski. Uh, he's at five four seven five. The Martinez was at four, um, but Goligoski's—he's another older D-man. So again, could be for another shorter deal. But it is a lot more for a shorter deal compared to Martinez. And then there's a few that I picked out that stood out to me more. So those ones that I just picked were kind of just extra guys. So ones that I picked that I thought maybe fit the Leafs better was Jaden Schwartz he's a left wing and a lot of these guys that I picked are left wingers because that's the spot that we need to fill I think most notably Schwartz is at uh, 5.35 he is he plays a lot of areas well the only downside is that he has missed a lot of games in his last six seasons and it was I believe it was four of those seasons he's missed double digit games he did win the cup with St. Louis also in 2019, but the injury thing, especially considering we haven't had the best luck with injuries in the past, so that might be a little caveat, but Schwartz is, I think he would be a decent pick, and the way that his uh, his salary is looking, assuming that pieces like Hyman or Riley are, are traded or, or like Kerfa are let go, there would be enough room for someone like him as well. Uh, Blake Coleman is another one. He's also left wing, um, currently at 1.8. He's a key piece. He's been a key piece for Tampa. So again, they might end up just taking him back, but he's got several abilities. He kills penalties, pretty much plays anywhere. Tampa's used him in multiple areas. He plays aggressive and he's the type of guy where in the playoffs, if the top line shuts down, he can come in and fill the void. That's pretty much the definition of the entire Tampa team but you know what I mean so then there is also Michael Granlund left wing 375 could be a filler for Nylander and Tavares on their wing um so same with Coleman too um another non-role focused guy uh, Matthias Yanmark left wing 2.25 similar to Granlund they're both cheaper option they're both non-role focused they play with grit and you can look at the way, specifically, you can look at the way that Vegas used Yanmark in all forward spots, all special teams, up in the lineup, up and down. He was pretty much everywhere. Perfect guy. So in terms of forwards, Yanmark, Granlin, and Coleman, and Schwartz. Schwartz is kind of a more expensive one, but Coleman, Granlin, and Yanmark, those are, those are the types of guys 
that need to be considered. And then for D, obviously, Dougie Hamilton, he he is he's going to be asking for similar to what uh, Riley would be asking for, closer to 7-8. Clearly, it's over the space that we have left. So again, it would obviously be relative to someone like Kerfoot leaving or again, Riley leaving. Uh, or like Mikhaev or Engvall also being exposed. Do we need a defender like him? That depends on intentions with Riley. So salary is not really the issue because they'd be around the same anyway. I think it more so comes down to whether Riley satisfies the skill and offense because we know Hamilton can provide as well. So would those extra, because Hamilton would be a bit more, so would those extra few bucks be worth it? Based on the other D that we have, I would say no. I guess it's also worth mentioning, uh, maybe it's not really worth mentioning, but Riley said he'd be willing to take a pay cut for the team and that could, realistically, that could mean anything. It could mean like $5. So don't, I would take that with a grain of salt because who knows what that means. But essentially it's, does it make sense to almost do a one for one, lose Riley and pick up Hamilton. That's kind of the way I see it because Riley's provided offense and everything and that's what Hamilton provides too. So if what I was saying before when I would be okay with them trading Riley if they get multiple pieces in return, if they're losing Riley and then they just end up signing Hamilton, what was the point of that? Because you're just eating up the salary again. Like you got relief by getting rid of Riley and you upgraded elsewhere, but then you're just eating up the exact same amount of salary because that's what people's issue with Riley is, right? It's that come next off season, he's going to be asking for a lot more. That's what the issue is. And is it worth giving him that much more when you could be spending it elsewhere? So you could say the same about Hamilton. Is it worth giving giving someone like Hamilton that much more when we could be using that, that money elsewhere? I don't really think it would be much of an upgrade in that D spot, just switching Riley for Hamilton, if it's going to be roughly the same money anyway. Another D that I liked that I pointed out was Mike Riley. Uh, he's at 1.5, a Riley for a Riley. Uh, he's at 1.5. It would be a good pickup if we need to add a defender, if we lose any to the expansion draft or trades or whatnot. He has a cheaper option, but still versatile, legitimate. I definitely think that would be that would be a good pickup as well. And then goalie, because we need a backup, Reimer is UFA. I think I saw that Bernier was UFA as well. Love for the love for one of them to come back, but um, wouldn't we wouldn't really be able to give them any more. I know Reimer was at 3.4. We wouldn't really be able to give them much more. And I'm not sure if they would come back because they, uh, when, I mean, you think about like Reimer when he left, I don't know, was, would he be welcomed back with open arms? Would he want to return? I don't know. But then you think Campbell, Reimer as your goalie tandem, that's, that looks good. That, that, I would be happy with that. So that's the goal. I know there's a lot of other goalies out there, obviously. I know they were talking about uh, Mike Smith and there was another name that I saw floating around. The name is escaping me right now. Uh, I'm not the best at goalies, so 
if you know of any others or think of any others that would be a good fit for the Leafs, let me know. So altogether, I think Leafs may have to end up moving one big piece and sacrificing one position in order to provide multiple upgrades in other areas. So for example, getting rid of Hyman and then being able to sign Galchenyuk and a backup and another bottom six. You would be able to do that. If you get rid of Hyman, you would be able to do Galchenyuk, backup goalie, and a bottom six guy. Or the other big option is losing Riley, but then it would obviously depend on what's coming the other way because you would want reasonable, like you wouldn't want, you would want the a bottom six guy coming the other way, maybe two bottom six guys coming the other way. You It would have to be a good, uh, because there'd be a huge hole, like I said, so I don't know that that would be trickier because then they would have to find someone to fill that hole for Riley but also actually we saw Sandine playing with Brody and we liked it a lot of people like that so could Sandine be considered a replacement for Riley he plays like him they have the same playing style offensive Sandine's a big guy he uses his well he's not a big guy but he uses his body well he's smart on the puck he proved himself, so maybe maybe that's it. Maybe there you go. You trade Riley, get some bottom six forwards in there that you need, or use it for um, a top six guy, like a left wing for Tavares and Nylander, and then you do Sandine Brody, Hall and Muzzin, and then Liljegren and Bogosian, something to that effect. That could happen too. I could see that happening. Anyway, so those are just a few Obviously, there's several others, of course, that have potential. So like I said, let me know if there's if there's any. And I'd be happy to talk about them in future episodes too. I can bring up a few every week if I get if I get a few every week or I'll save them all for when I do the expansion draft and stuff like that um, closer to the day. So this was just a sneak peek, scratching the surface um, to show what I think. All right, so now that we've talked... A lot about the Leafs. Haven't talked a lot about them in a while. Uh, coming up next, we're going to take a quick break from talking about the Leafs, and we are going to, or I am going to be introducing my all-new segment, "This or That," discussing the NHL's hottest debates. So stay tuned. Okay, it is now time to introduce my all-new segment that I will be doing during the off-season since main takeaways just wouldn't really make any sense anymore. This week, for the very first appearance of the segment in the podcast, I am going to be welcoming a popular returning guest, Emilio. Hi. And we are going to introduce the very first NHL debate, shootout or golden goal. That is our this or that debate for this week. So, my question to you. Do you like the current way the league handles tie games after three periods, doing the five-minute OT and then the shootout, or would you rather see a format similar to the playoffs where they play until a team scores for the golden goal? What is your answer, this or that? That. I'd rather see them do golden goal because I feel like it shows more of the team and less of just individual players. Your team might not have superstars for the shootout, but you might know how to play the game right, and I feel that should be shown in the game. 
but I would also want it to be three on three still mm-hmm. because more exciting. Yeah, action. Yeah, I agree. My answer is the same. I prefer the golden goal. I don't like the shootout, and that's not just because the Leafs suck at it because we know that they don't have a very good track record at shootouts but that's not the reason why I think the same thing I feel like it's uh I feel like the shootout takes away from the game and it's cool to see the skill and like the moves um that the players make to take their shots and the saves that the goalies make one-on-one but I feel like that's more of an NHL like all-star skills type of uh type of event or type of thing like where you would want to see something like that uh, but like you said, it's supposed to be a team game and making plays as a team to score and understanding the game of hockey as a team. That's more kind of what the overtime and golden goal kind of shows. And that's the whole point of the game, obviously. So my second question to you is what format of golden goal would you want? So you said three on three, which I agree because more action and everything, um, but what about in terms of the like the time limit? Like, would you want them to just keep doing continuous five minute OTs, or I know a full twenty minute period obviously isn't realistic, or maybe ten minutes at a time instead? Five minutes and a commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think especially if if we're saying three on three, I think five minutes is more. Long. Yeah, and it's more realistic because normally, I mean, not many games go to shootouts already, so I don't know. I I feel like just adding that extra five minute OT period like it it would rarely go beyond that I don't know and actually just a question because I've heard a lot of people comparing it to like soccer where soccer can end in a tie and they get like they get a point for tying the game would you want to see something like that in hockey where games can end in ties or would you prefer to have a winner and a loser every game I'd prefer a winner loser just because (laughs) just because just because All right, so that is it for the first segment of This or That. If you have any ideas on future This or That debates uh, of NHL's hottest hockey debates, let me know. Reach out to me on my social media accounts and let me know any, any ideas you guys might have for future segments. Also, let me know what you guys think about this uh, NHL debate. Do you like shootouts or would you prefer the game ended in a golden goal? Let me know what you guys think and stay tuned because coming up next, I will be wrapping up the episode with some final points. All right, so I hope you liked that debate. I hope you enjoyed the first this or that segment. There will be lots more to come. So just in summary, I just wanted to, this is the end of the episode. I just wanted to give a final wrap-up and summary of pretty much what I talked about. Number one, go for no name. Hard workers, gritty guys, that's what you got to go for to change the culture. Number two, lose one big piece, most likely Riley or Hyman, if they have to, in order to upgrade elsewhere. Number three, consider using Kerfoot or Mikhaev or Engvall or Dermot as trading pieces And number four, I would say not to focus on D so much because they, the defense had that instinct in the playoffs. They had that killer instinct. In my mind, I saw it. They had it. They, all of them worked hard and we have dependable young guys coming up there as well. I think the real upgrades and the real money needs to go into a new top six and a few bottom six because the way I see it, we've got Matthews, Marner, let's just say 
Hyman is there. Let's say someone like Coleman or Granlund and Nylander and Tavares. And then let's say another like Granlund, Coleman, or Yanmark, one of those three that are one of those that I mentioned. And then let's assume Kerfoot stays. And then Engvall. Uh, or Galchenyuk. Galchenyuk I would put there instead. And then let's say Spezza, Brooks, and Engvall. You know, something something to that effect is what I'm thinking. You know, Nomakayev or uh, anything like that. And then for D, I kind of already said I would be okay with dropping off Riley and then keeping Sandin up there with Brody because those two... They did work well together when they were put uh, put together as a pair. So, I don't know. I would like seeing names like Granlund or Yanmark or Coleman or Schwartz. Like, names like that I would like to see added because that is is that is when you're going to start seeing real change. And, uh, like I said, it's going to be hard because, like last offseason, they had so many new guys coming in. And it, it was a lot of work to bring the chemistry together because there were a lot of new pieces and they're going to be going through the same thing again this off season. Maybe not to the same extent, maybe a little bit less than last season, but there's definitely going to be a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of chemistry because there's going to be a few major pieces that are not that are no longer going to be there. Thornton, Felino, you know, all those guys. Anyway, that's what I think. That's all for this episode. And again, like I said before, if you have any other UFAs or trade mock-ups or signings or guys that you think should stay or go, UFAs around the league, let me know. Let me know what you guys think. Also, for this or that, if you guys have any ideas on debates or topics that I can use for that segment that you'd want to hear about in the future, you can reach out to me on my Twitter at the hockey chick and my instagram at that hockey chick and i would be happy to talk about anything that you guys suggest so until not next week next episode is going to be on monday so you'll be hearing my beautiful voice again in a few days so until then i hope you enjoyed this episode once again my name is antonia mendelia and i'm that hockey chick (laughs) 